getting high On our own supply, we getting high On our own supply, hey, giving you the game All facts, no lies, Hello and welcome to High on Our Own Supply, a podcast sponsored by Confident Cannabis. I'm your host, Brad Bogus. Thanks for listening. This episode is a bonus episode from our COVID-19 special on retailers and delivery companies and how they're handling the supply chain during the crisis. If you're looking for the full episode with all three guests, go back to our show page and pick the one that isn't listed as a bonus episode. We had such great interviews with all three guests that we wanted to release them as their own unedited content. This second bonus episode features Ted Lichtenberg, CEO of Flower Company. They are a members-only weed delivery club that gets top cannabis brands delivered in as fast as 24 hours across California from Humboldt County to Long Beach. Flower Company puts their members and partners first, maintain a lean operation, and keep overhead low throughout the supply chain to save their members money. This is Ted on how Flower Company has handled the crisis. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us at the show today, Ted. Yeah, happy to join, Brad. So we really wanted to dive into what uh, how Flower Company has been handling the COVID-19 crisis. So my first question is, what is life for your company like currently during, uh, during COVID? Yeah, you know, I think life is different for everybody out there pre versus post COVID, but things have changed a lot for us. Um, we have seen our demand, um, you know, almost 2x. Um, uh, wow. since this started and um, beyond just the, the obvious growth as people are at home and um, looking for delivery, um, we also are having to change our operations to make sure that we protect our, our workers and their safety as well as the safety of our customers. And so um, what we're really experiencing is rapid breakneck growth at a, um, a moment where it's hard to get things done um, and a, uh, a need to, in some places, slow things down in order to get it done right. Right. Uh, so are you having to, like, when you say, like, uh, in terms of keeping your workforce safe, are you having to operate with less people in certain areas of that to match that growth? How, how is that working out? Yeah, lucky enough, we have had the facilities where we've been able to keep people distant enough to... Um, uh, be safe uh, just because of the the space, the extra space we had in some of the um, uh, places we operate. Um, yeah. So it's less of limiting the actual um, presence in there um, for uh, the, uh, getting the work done. But um, for our uh, our last mile delivery, um, we are um, only letting in one delivery driver at a time, and then there we're, we're kind of minimizing the amount of in person interactions in those experiences. And right. then with um, with the, for the drivers, we're uh, keeping uh, just like we're restocking all of our depots with the new orders every day. We are um, uh, facilitating um, our drivers having enough gloves and alcohol and uh, masks to uh, be safe. So whenever we need to restock, we'll send that from our central fulfillment hub out to their uh, to the depots. Uh, and it was it's been kind of funny. We um, uh, when when all of the hand sanitizer 
uh, went off the shelves, we were able yeah. to quickly replace it with alcohol from one of our neighbors next door who has a, vol- uh, a non-volatile extraction lab. And we were able to, That's um, convenient. At, you know, at least have something there to keep things sanitary. So uh, that, that's been a, a pretty crazy side of the experience. Um, but there's also little things you don't expect. I think those, those are the obvious outward-facing aspects of it. Um, right. But uh, two things that happened that I wasn't really expecting is um, you know, one of our um, uh, best brands on our, on our platform, um, Raw Garden, um, is a brand people look to because they trust what, uh, what the, the type of quality you're going to get with Raw Garden. And our right. carts, um, our half gram carts are like 21 bucks and our gram carts are 32 to $33. And when we have um, them on, on our menu, people go crazy for them. Um, but uh, they, the fans are also aware that there's a lot of people out there that will counterfeit them. And so when Raw Garden ran into a um, supply chain blip on their side where they had to use some older packaging that they had on hand because of shortages um, with, uh, with COVID supply chain of, of new packaging, customers realized immediately and were saying, yeah. hey, this isn't actually Raw Garden. What's, how, what's up? And um, you know, our CX uh, had to respond and explain the situation. Everybody's really understanding. I appreciate our customers and their their like their flexibility to our um, uh, to you know hiccups as they happen with COVID. Um, right. But uh, it was really interesting to see how uh, how much attention people are paying to brands today. And I think that was a proof point that brands are a real thing that matter in the cannabis market in California. Well, and certainly coming out of the vape crisis, where a lot of the fear was around counterfeit products having, you know, additives that the uh, products that were being counterfeited never had, uh, seems to have have really played a number on the consumer psyche. Absolutely, um, and then, you know, I think um, uh, something that's common across most um, uh, retailers is uh, the uh, the edible. Uh, as a proportion of, of demand is really going up. And right. so, um, you know, we had done a big push earlier this year to add more higher quality brands to our menu. Um, and uh, we focused a lot on the concentrate side of things because of, of who our, our customer, uh, one of our big customer, you know, archetypes is. And um, we, you know, we added brands like 710, um, uh, and, and many more and have a really deep extract menu. But when COVID hit, we realized that our, um, our edible menu needed a little bit of love. And so it's been fun for me to, um, try out the, uh, the new edible brands that our, our buyer has brought on and we're looking at, um, bringing on more right now, but I'm excited to have, uh, um, Cushy Punch coming onto our menu. I've always enjoyed their sativa products and, um, uh, we also have um, seen that uh, uh, some of our, our standards like Kana and Kiva are doing better than ever. You know, I've been having conversations with a lot of different uh, retailers and edibles companies over the last six months or so about 
savory edibles, um, specifically why there seems to be a desire for savory edibles, but there doesn't seem to be a matching demand in purchases whenever savory edibles are available. Maybe that's because of lack of options or just lack of interest. Um, when you say that edibles have been really spiking, is that every edible category across the board, or are there really some interesting trends that you're noticing within certain edibles categories that might be surfacing that where they weren't previously uh, desired? Well, one of the things that one of the one of the edible categories that um, we're seeing a lot of attention in is just the the beverage category. Um, okay, uh, and not just on our our core club site, uh, but you know what one of the things that we've started to do with the infrastructure we built for the club is to power other cannabis brands um, own e-commerce storefronts. So. Um, kind of like Shopify um, with uh, fulfillment by Amazon tied into it. So right. sort of direct to consumer model in a way. Ex exactly, we're powering cannabis brands to go direct to consumer, and um, we have seen um, uh, beverage brands like Can do really well um, with that model, and we're excited to um, to power um, uh, uh, other brands um, going direct to consumer in a moment where. A lot of the retail channels are more restricted due to COVID. So um, that's really good for uh, cannabis yeah. beverages because they've been a very challenged category previously. No, they have, and I think that um, people are um, exploring all of the different types of edibles because they um, uh, are uh, you know, eager to try something new as they're sitting at home. And now is a great time for brands like Can um, or Kikoko to build a direct-to-consumer um, user base, and uh, we're really excited to be part of that. And I, um, uh, I think that this is uh, going to change the face of the cannabis industry um, uh, over the next few years, because historically, retailers and a few big delivery businesses um, were the ones who decided what customers got to see, to try, yep. and uh, uh, where you know what would be distributed, but with, right, with the going, yeah, they're the bottleneck. But with direct to consumer, these brands can build their audience and um, uh, uh, not be at the whim of that distribution channel. And I think COVID is a um, incredible moment for brands to go out and start their own direct to consumer um, cannabis e-commerce businesses because. Um, people are at home um, and they are looking for things to do and, and, and cannabis definitely helps you pass the time. Um, and so there's a lot of interest in delivery and in um, a trial and exploration. So um, we are trying to turn on as many of the, the partners we have on our wait list as we can um, right now. And uh, uh, it's been fun to hear how these um, you know, fellow entrepreneurs are thinking about building that brand and that community. And I'm really enjoying helping um, uh, them get, get to market. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you said that, you know, traditionally retailers have wanted to control this portion of the supply chain, but you said flower companies actually encouraging brands to go direct to consumer. Um, wh what's the advantage that you see in brands doing this for the flower company? So, you know, we, we, we um, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for brands to have an omni-channel strategy. So I think a brand um, should uh, have their own direct-to-consumer um, site, 
where they nurture their user base and do things to make that experience really special. Uh, one of the craft cannabis brands that we're working with um, launching is uh, like a super high-end um, uh, indoor uh, uh, business, and they um, uh, haven't historically been able to share the new phenos that they're testing uh, with their customers because the batch sizes were too small to, to go into retail. But they're yeah. going to make that part of their direct-to-consumer experience. Um, and so I think as a part of an omni-channel strategy, um, a brand can build value for the, for the whole industry by going direct to consumer um, and still be part of um, re normal retail and part of um, a platform like Flower Company. So, um, you know, I think each, uh, each different channel has its upsides and retail is a great place to educate new consumers and um, a, a place where people who, who don't know as much can um, figure out what they like. Uh, Direct-to-consumer right. is a great way for brands to experiment with new products and um, uh, maintain um, and nurture their relationships with long-term fans. And right. um, I think a place like the our, our flower company um, club is a is a great place for people who are uh, you know, steady cannabis users who are a little more price sensitive and willing to wait till next the next day to get it delivered. And right. um, something that we have done with Flower Co. is we, you know, our, our model is we charge $119 a year for folks to get cannabis delivered for half the price of a dispensary. And um, before COVID, we were um, uh, typically doing two to three day delivery in our markets. But now we have next day delivery live in LA as well as in NorCal. So um, we're able to give an even better experience because of the, the growth um, that we're seeing of our club as well as the other brands that we're starting to power on our platform. Yeah, you know, the direct-to-consumer model certainly makes sense for the beverage category. Um, and I imagine this is, like you said, uh, something that translates into just about any niche brand category, which is that if you are just going to the dispensary for your normal shopping experience, it's likely that you're going to be looking for things that you already want or trying some things that are very similar to what you've already want. And cannabis beverages being such a new category for people, very few people have had like a really um, uh, profound experience, you know, trying them before. They, they maybe took a sip off of somebody else's. They maybe tried one at a party. But, you know, to invest the money into a six pack of something uh, is probably too much for them to ask if, if they're just in a normal shopping experience. But if you grab that consumer and have them come to the shop interested for that product, then it's a higher likelihood they're probably going to order that cannabis beverage. And so I can see how that direct-to-consumer model interacts with retail in a way that helps you to push some of these more boutique brands or boutique categories into a place where you know you can actually start driving some good sales for those brands. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Well, um, I, I, I uh, was going to ask you about interesting trends that you've seen in the last three to four weeks. I think that one really covers that. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to, to ask, which was, you know, kind of hearkening back to your story about, um, raw garden is how is the supply chain acting differently or responding to our new paradigm? Well, I have been happily surprised by how resilient the industry has been, um, from a supply chain standpoint. Um, we have 
there there have been brands that have uh, not been able to fulfill our full orders that we're you know asking from them because their production is slowed down slightly. Um, but there is in general a um, uh, an ongoing steady stream of supply, even if there are some brands that have short, like slightly less production staff. Uh, yeah. And um, in, in general, I'd say that the, um, what, the biggest bottlenecks brands have removed by moving their resources around. And um, we are not um, on track for any crazy massive shortages at this point. Um, that can that could all change. Our, our supply chains are all, um, uh, you know, very dynamic. And so, if we stopped receiving packaging from um, from China, particularly for for vape cartridges, um, I right. could see some uh, meaningful disruption down the road. But so far, I've been happily surprised that that hasn't impacted us as much as I thought it could. Um, no doubt. Yeah, because yeah. you hear so much about the retail sales being up across the board in just about every state. But then, like, you know, the news coming out of the production world in cannabis is always very much like, you know, half my staff can't even be here. A third of them are sick. The others are afraid to be here and, get, and getting sick. We've had to, you know, reduce staff to make room for everyone to have social distancing. And so there was this point that I think the whole industry has sort of been waiting on with, like, bated breath as to, is the production capacity going to drop across the board? Is this going to give uh, other competitors a foothold where, you know, someone's production capacity might be down for a brand, but another brand is ready to step into that place. And I don't know that I've really been able to get a solid read on how that's been developing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that it has um, happened yet. Uh, I'd say that there there's, there are definitely, I mean, we, we had, a, we had, a, had issues with this too, when, when this uh, first started to happen, where certain team members, um, whether their family were in, in higher at risk categories, or um, for whatever reason, uh, were not comfortable um, uh, working in production. And so we had to add some additional staff to fill those spaces. And yeah. Um, uh, uh, we're now lucky to now to have two teams that are trained. And so we're able to just invest into a better and better user experience as those people come back. Um, but uh, not everybody is in the position of growth in a way where they can um, uh, repurpose those people to improve an experience. And so they're having to make hard decisions um, with their teams. Um, but we are... Um, at a point where um, we're able to get um, close to the amount we need from our existing suppliers and the categories that we're um, really adding additional suppliers quickly in are categories like edibles, where there's just been a general demand shift and increase. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what have been your biggest challenges during this crisis for Flower Company? So... Our biggest crisis has been access to capital in a moment of rapid growth where the financial markets are in chaos, both within the cannabis industry and outside of it. Uh, you know, yeah. coming, in, coming into 2020, the capital markets in cannabis ha were already in uh, rough shape. And uh, I think, you know, valuations were 
um, down um, ac across the board, um, both public and private markets, as people um, were a little, uh, uh, you know, gun shy after um, some irrational exuberance in um, the kind of Canadian public markets and right. uh, the way that uh, taking a like growth at all costs mindset um, that those businesses brought into some of the markets like California um, uh, in 2019. And so yeah, all the hype funding kind of uh, came with a, a real bad story at the end. Yeah. And, you know, some of the businesses that were funded are, are really good businesses. Some of them were, were funded, weren't great businesses. And right. the, it, it's, it's hard as an entrepreneur when um, uh, you are um, like timing is timing is critical. It either will make you successful because you're in the right place and you're you're in a positive financial um, environment, but also market environment. Um, but it could also really hurt. And I think um, there was a general like uh, decline in the amount of deals that were getting done, um, or at least just the speed that they were getting done before COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I think there's been a general retreat towards investing in portfolio companies rather than investing in um, new businesses. And yeah. so, um, uh, and I, I've talked to some other founders in the space, but the uh, growth can actually be a really dangerous thing if you don't, if you don't have the, uh, the capital to continue to grow with it. And so um, we uh, uh, have been... Um, uh, uh, just kind of navigating that environment. Um, and uh, that's probably the biggest challenge in the industry right now for, for companies that are able to, um, to grow in this time. Certainly, certainly. Um, what, uh, what do you think life will be like post-COVID for cannabis companies? I imagine that there's some sort of carryover of either what was previously the uh, cannabis recession or what is now currently a global economic crisis, uh, possibly recession to depression level crisis. So uh, do you think that that will continue for cannabis companies? And do you think there's going to be any major changes in operations in the supply chain based on how COVID-19 occurred? So I think that COVID has changed the way that people in America think about delivery. Folks yeah. who never had groceries delivered have had a crash course in what um, grocery delivery um, or other um, uh, food or cannabis or uh, retail delivery, uh, how, that can, how, how useful that can be. And so I think those new habits that are being trained um, through months of isolation will stick and that um, beyond the new just habit formed of, um, of delivery, we will see a, um, a, an increase of you know, just general price sensitivity. I think consumer spending outside of cannabis is going to be down because of this depression we're in. And I um, I think cannabis is going to be resilient as an industry because yep. um, in a hard time, uh, it's a great way to get some uh, relief or relax. 
and I um, uh, I think we'll continue to see um, uh, the industry uh, do uh, uh, considerably better than the general macro environment, but I think that consumers will um, increasingly uh, switch to uh, businesses like Flower Company that offer a lot of value to yeah. our members. And I think what we'll see is a continued um, success of the super high-end luxury brands, like premium brands. So think a uh, like a Cookies or a Fig Farms yeah. or a, a Royal Key, like super high-end um, uh, brands will continue to do well. Um, but people will increasingly trade down parts of their wallet to um, more mass market brands or in a worst case scenario, switch to the illicit market. So, yeah. you know, when I, when I, um, I think about the, uh, the, the biggest elephant in the room, it's that the illicit market is still bigger than the regulated one. Right. And that and really is, not damaged too much from this uh, crisis. Well, it, it, yeah. And, and not, not damaged too much from this crisis. And so it's, um, I think a, uh, an opportunity for us as flower company to um, uh, try and um, keep as many of those people buying in the regulated space. Uh, but I also think even folks in the regulated space, um, or so people who have been buying in the illicit space, you know, from a friend of a friend or from a, a dealer, they are going to um, uh, be um, attracted to the uh, the cost savings of Flower Co. as well as the greater certainty of the of the cons- of the quality of what you're buying because it's been tested. Right. And so I think that there's an opportunity for the the regulated regulated industry to thrive um, where we um, uh, help the, the that customer's wallet and and help them save money and get good value. Um, but I um, otherwise I have some fears that. Um, folks are going to be even more price sensitive and that that's going to um, continue to keep them in the illicit market or drive them back there. Well, right before this crisis, there was, um, you know, quite a bit of momentum behind some reform within California, uh, specifically to reduce the burden of taxes. And, um, and certainly like, you know, this is the most taxed state, I think in cannabis legally, um, the the cost of cannabis in California. I, I've bought in six different uh, states uh, in the regulated markets, and uh, the cost here is most definitely the highest I've seen uh, for you know what would be in a place like Colorado, you know, mid shelf to high shelf or to top shelf weed. Uh, here, I've seen you know anything from uh, you know two hundred and fifty dollars an ounce for a minimum mid shelf level uh, cannabis flower company to you know, uh, it literally I've seen a $650 ounce in more than one store, uh, on their website. And that, that is an astronomical amount to expect anybody to pay at any sort of bulk level. Um, but it's not necessarily because companies are just out for the greediness, like the, the burden on, uh, on these companies tax wise in the state is certainly really heavy. And, um, I hope coming out of this, that, that momentum, around reform uh, of 64 will really pick back up again and, and maybe even have more momentum than it had going into this because of the global recession following it. Yeah. You know, I, um, 
I think that reform is needed and that the um, uh, enforcement is also needed at a, uh, a legal sh- uh, sh- shop level. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's really challenging when a customer has difficulty knowing if they're in a legal shop or an illegal one, if they're not from the industry and know what to look for. Um, you know, yeah, it takes more than a QR code in the window. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's kind of crazy the brazen, um, open <laughs> way these um, illicit shops are operating, particularly down in LA. And right. so I, th- I, while I think tax uh, reform would be welcomed by everybody in the industry um, and would create a uh, a lot of um, shift toward fr- from the illicit market towards the regulated market, um, I still think that. Uh, enforcement needs to be part of that. And I um, have to say that I am not incredibly confident that that is going to be the priority um, in a yeah. post-COVID era, given there's a lot of big problems the state's facing. And understandably, um, a, uh, you know, the, the, the governor and the, 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 the administration in general will be focused on some really big challenging things and it'd be naive to think um, shutting down illegal cannabis dispensaries would be the highest among them when right. millions are out without jobs. Um, Indeed. So um, I, I'm not sure if we can really count on that happening, um, but I do think that, that until change happens there, there will continue to be um, a strong, vibrant, illicit market in California. So that's it for this bonus episode. Make sure and check out the other two bonus episodes related to the COVID-19 special on retailers and delivery companies. Every single one of those conversations was particularly interesting. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned because we are going to also be releasing a COVID-19 special focusing specifically on producers and that will be coming shortly. Thank you. High on Our Own Supply is hosted and produced by Brad Bogus. It is sponsored by Confident Cannabis. You can check out Confident Cannabis at wholesale.confidentcannabis.com. Our theme song is written by Tone Oliver. Check out Tone Oliver at toneoliver.com or on any of your music streaming apps like Spotify. Make sure and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next time. Everybody worried about the ROI, just a little FYI, better improve them KPIs, can't forget about compliance, it's a science, time to get it started, turn it up, sit back, side, we getting high, on our own supply, we getting high, on our own supply, we getting high, on our own supply, giving you the game, all facts, no lies, yeah, yeah.